here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back, everybody, to Wrestling Omakaze. This is episode number 49, and this week I am very happy to introduce a brand new Omakaze guest, the first ever former wrestler guest we've ever had, which is very cool, Mr. Grant Akuma. Uh, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm fired up. One of the best shows of the year, so I'm excited to talk about it. Um, this is your first ever podcast, is that correct? Um, I've done like interview podcasts here and there, but for the most part, this, this is my first post wrestling podcast. So it's the right. first time I'm kind of going in a different direction. So like as a fan and stuff. Yes, exactly. Cause I remember you were talking on Twitter about like getting a microphone and, you know, experimenting with hosting your own show. So this might be a cool way to see if you like, you know, doing this kind of thing. Yeah. And if people like me doing this thing, cause if I suck, <laughs> I probably should stop. Well, that hasn't stopped me. So, you know. <laughs> Uh, just, um, but yeah, we got the minion talk about here um, from Osaka Joe Hall on June 9th. Um, I saw the show in very unique circumstances. I saw the, the top three matches uh, the Saturday morning. It happened mostly because I was at I was at an anime convention of all places, and I was very frightened of just like walking around and getting spoiled. 
um, <laughs> which like which happened to a friend of mine who showed up at like 9 a.m. wearing like a Naito shirt and a guy immediately like just pulls him like a guy who's like on staff just like screams out um oh jones you must be so bummed that naito lost and the guy's like oh thanks i actually didn't know that i just oh. got here at, <laughs> he's like i just got here at 9 a.m on saturday how would i have watched the show you know unless i was up all night oh but, see i have to watch everything live now like i'm like i i started like following new japan heavily like 20 years ago so mm. like I remember when we had to wait like weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks to get like a bad third generation VHS copy. So like now that it's there for the taking live, I can't not watch it. So I watch everything live as much as I possibly can. I was, I was very much in that, in that camp when they first rolled out the Ustream stuff. Like I watched as much live as I could. Unfortunately now, you know, I have like a, a regular office job. So the hours really aren't that great for me watching live. So it's really just, I take off for Wrestle Kingdom every year. That's pretty much it as far as me watching live now. But um, but yeah, the Minion, I saw the top three matches and accidentally spoiled myself on the junior title match immediately. You know how you're trying to fast forward through it? <laughs> you just hit like the exact spot I hit was like Hiromu <laughs> celebrating. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, um, there you go. I'm trying yeah, to find it. I have to watch live. <laughs> <laughs> but um, other than that, I went, pretty, I went to the other two unspoiled. So that was good. Um, cause both, well, if one of them was a very shocking result, I think, and the other one wasn't necessarily shocking, but I don't, I, I going in, I thought, oh God, I was going to retain. Um, I wasn't going to be surprised if Kenny won. Um, like I would say I was 60, 40 Okada, but you know, I just, it was one of those matches where, you know, you really have no idea, you know, yeah, for the, sure the best thing gonna... about it was that you couldn't pick it. Like everybody was like. If they weren't 50-50, they were really close. Like, and it almost felt like neither were a bad decision. Like, yeah. It was win-win regardless of who won, which was crazy. And pretty much a lot of the title matches in the show, the junior title match too, I would argue, was like you could easily make an argument for either one. So that one bumped. I was bummed to get sport on that one because I thought Aroma was going to win, but, you know, if Willow won, I wouldn't have been that shocked. Um, all right, so let's get into the card before the show started did you did you catch the um opening video with the new ceo uh harold in the shower yes yes it was wonderful <laughs> that was so uh, weird like at first i wasn't sure what to think of it but then when he finally made his entrance and like came out normally for a second and then just sprinted down the aisle way and slid into the ring and the people went crazy like that immediately i immediately turned the corner on it after that they were they were so into him speaking Japanese, which is like not like that's not just a, that's a real thing in Japan, folks. It's like a if someone tells you Japanese people love it when white people speak Japanese, they're not being racist. It's just literally true. Like you know, I made some guy like sound like he was creaming his pants because I knew the word for new. Like I hear me say atarashi, and he's like, ah. Oh! I think Japanese wrestlers are like that too. Like I remember one time I wrestled someone. I uh, it was uh, the man who went on to be Amigo Suzuki, Ooh. and he was he was uh, he was trying to explain to me this knee bar that he wanted to do, and I understood what he meant, and I knew the Japanese for it. So I said he's a jujigatame, and his eyes just bugged out of his head. And then every time we would walk through what we were going to do, he made me say it over again. <laughs> So it's very yeah it's a, it's a stereotype but it's an accurate stereotype like they really love it, um, but yeah so the crab is very into his Japanese um, 
he he also talks some English too. He did one of the one of those like uh, very corporate goals where he said he's going to take it to the next level. It's like he can kind of claim success on that pretty much no matter what happens, which is always good when you're setting a goal. Um, and then he got a new Japan jacket, which is pretty badass. Yeah. So I thought it was a cool promo. I thought it was uh, like to me, this is how an owner or a president should be involved in the in the show. You know, it's before the show actually starts. He's not there to play characters; just there to like fire everybody up. So. Plus, I think he came across like he came across very professional, but he came across as a New Japan fan, and I think yeah. that's why everybody got so into him. Like he was excited to be there, so they were excited for him to be there. Yeah, they were they liked it a lot, and you know, it became the shower thing became a meme on Twitter as these things do. But um, you know, but then we had the actual opening of the show with the junior tag team titles on the line: uh, El Desperado and Yoshinobu Kanemaru defeating Rapungi 3K of Sho and Yo. 929, uh, Desperado pinning show with his cradle. The LS Culo? I, I don't speak Spanish, so it's very difficult. Um, but yeah, that, this was a, a pretty shocking result, I would say. I mean, I think almost everybody picked Rapungi 3K to win the titles here. Yeah, I was surprised, especially like they were both elevated so well individually in Best of the Super Juniors, particularly Show. I thought Show really like kind of skyrocketed throughout the tournament. And I w- I fully expected them to win the tag belts, but I kind of like that they didn't because I kind of want them to dip more into singles. Yeah, like I really, as again, especially Show. I think Show is like an absolute lock for a future junior ace. Yeah, I totally and agree. The interesting thing about him is that if there's one thing New Japan's junior division doesn't have, it's a power junior. So he can kind of slip into that role, and like he fits with everyone, but he's unlike everyone. So I really right. think him as the singles, I think, could do really well. And they don't necessarily have to break up. Like, they don't have to, like, split up and feud or one of them turn on the other or anything. Like, the way New Japan's been booking the tag divisions lately, people just kind of drop in and out of tag teams. If they're a single star and they don't have anything going on, they're out of the mix. They just form a tag team for a while and they bounce around the tag division until they're back in the mix for singles. So I could easily see one or both of them kind of bouncing into singles and then... Like they can just reform their team whenever they want. Yeah. Well, what you said was interesting to me because I know you you're also a longtime fan. Who is the last like New Japan native power junior? Is it Takaiwa, probably? It, before he left for zero one? Yeah, I think it probably would be. And that's like the original six nucleus of the juniors from when I first started watching in the late nineties. So I, I was trying hard to think and I couldn't think of any in like the in the in the aughts or this decade so far that would really fit the mold. Like yeah. you have like, you know, other companies, you have like Shuji Kondo and a million guys in Dragon Gate, honestly. But like Takamoro was kind of a power junior, but like mm. he didn't really make that much of a like an impact. I totally forgot about him. So there you go. I was honestly the only reason I remember him was he he teamed with Osama Nishimura on a Chikara show. So I've met the man. So that's oh. why it sticks out to me. Because yeah, he his run in New Japan was what, like three years or something, right? Yeah, it was very, very short. I, I feel know. like yeah, he was in CTU and then he was gone, basically. <laughs> I feel like, um, but yeah, the junior junior tag title match, a cool opener. Um, one thing I noticed right away was that Desperado and Kanemaru came out to Desperado's theme, whereas in the, the past few months they'd always come out to Kanemaru's. So I thought that was a pretty clear, um, you know, reflection of where Desperado is on the pecking order now that he's clearly above Kanemaru now. Um, 
I thought the the the, the beginning too was really cool. Uh, you know, starting off with Dev Sprato missing that belt shot. Um, you know, which showed great. Like I remember, I don't know. Were you listening to English announcer or Japanese? Japanese. Okay, I was listening to English for this one, and you know, they they did immediately point out that like I think it was Don Callis who was like, finally someone was ready for the Suzuki Kun tactics tactics because like they immediately ducked it and then hit the stereo planches. Um, but yeah, then the you know there was all that craziness towards the end, which showed ducking out of the way the whiskey spit. Uh, Desperado got got you know got the whiskey right in his face, but I guess I guess it makes sense he would recover so quickly, right? Because he's wearing a mask, right? Exactly. Like you know, you could just have say it didn't really affect him as much. Um, so he recovers, he pushes Yo out of the way, the three K, and um, you know, hitting the three K on Kanemaru. Show goes for the shock iron on Desperado, who escapes, takes the ref out of position. For Kanemaru to hit with the whiskey bottle, I, they probably have done that at some point, but I can't recall to the top of my head, and it felt like. Such a cool like escalation. It's like, well, the spit didn't work, so now I'm just gonna hit you with the fucking thing. But I really liked how the like like you were saying that the, the finish definitely escalated. Like they didn't do a million things, but it was like a million evasions and counters to finally lead into the finish. Yeah. And I liked they kind of like they Sho and Yo learned, but they still got beat by their inexperience. It was like they've gotten craftier as far as dealing with all the underhanded Suzuki gun stuff, but like they, like they're getting better, but they're still not there yet. You know what I mean? Like they've, they've improved, but they still haven't overcome their inexperience to get beat by the veterans the way they did. And also um, one thing I haven't loved the shock arrow because it has such an involved setup. Yeah. But I felt like he was going to have a hard time. Like, going in and out of that as far as like counters and building drama, trying to, you know, trying to hit it and people countering it and stuff like that. Like Okada's Rainmaker is so great because there's a million things you can do with it. You can duck it, you can block it, you can hit him first, you can pick him up. Like there's so many different ways around that move and to get in and out of it. But like, I really thought show was going to be stuck with the shock arrow where he wasn't going to be able to do that much with it. The way Desperado got out of it was really, really impressive. And I like, I might have like I might have already taken an L on that one because people have come up with some pretty creative ways to get out of it so far. So yeah. I'm interested to see if that trend continues. Now, were there any finishes you you as a wrestler hated like having to deal with because they just were not easy to book like counters around? Um I don't know. Like I always I always felt like I had a good mind for that. Like a lot I would always come in with a million ideas and I'm always like, oh well, this can go into this and this can go into that and like the way the puzzle pieces kind of fit together was something I always took a big interest in. That was one of my favorite things about putting matches together was putting together that kind of thing. So I usually had ideas. Like if I can't get from point A to point B, I can get from like point A to point A and a half to point B. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I could put something in the middle to get to where I want to go. So like I always found it to be an interesting challenge. So I never really got frustrated by it because I always welcomed that kind of situation. Gotcha. Like I always have fun with that. I always assumed like one of those, um, one of those, like a springboard, like those cutters must be really hard to, to do something creative with, but it feels like every time I think that like there's some, some lethal or Osprey spot surprises me. So maybe not. Yeah. Like I'm, I've joked to people in the past that like, especially with the, the 
like the people that are doing stuff like Osprey, like the crazy flying, like at this point they can do whatever they want. It's just a matter of how creative they are. Yeah. But overall, I thought it was a good opener. Um, I don't know if you do star ratings or not, but I would go like three and a half probably. Um, um, I've, I've come to the conclusion that if I'm going to podcast, I'm going to have to embrace the star rating thing. I don't like take exception to star ratings, but when I look at this, I don't look at it on the same scale as like the main event. Like comparing yeah. the two seems really like apples and oranges to me. So like the things that would give this a higher star rating would make it less good of an opener. So I thought it was a really, really excellent opener. But if I were rating everything on the same scale, I'd probably rate it around where you did as far as everything else on the card and everything else in wrestling. Yeah. And, you know, I, I saw like there was um, there were, the Japanese fans are apparently a little confused. Um, or at least one Japanese fan I follow was um, was pretty confused as to why this was the opener with the stuff to come. But I thought it was a really good choice of an opener just to get the crowd going. And, you yeah. know, and um, I'm really glad, like. A lot of the, especially on the big shows, the openers have been three-way tags for the junior belts. Yeah. And we were all sick of that. <laughs> and we yeah. finally seem to have put that past us because they're getting to have straight two-on-two tags. And they're still every bit as crazy and they get the crowd fired up and they do all the things you want from an opener. But they can still have a, like a sensible match that tells a story and makes sense and has a beginning and a middle and an end. Right. So I'm glad the days of the the endless junior tag three ways are behind us. I definitely agree. And after that, it was the days of the endless heavyweight tag three and four <laughs> ways. But that seems to have come to an end too, thank God. Um, all right, so match two was David Finley and Juice Robinson victorious over Jay White and Yoshihashi. Uh, Juice pinned Jay White in 726 with the Pulp Friction. It's a little surprised that Juice pinned Jay, but it's pretty typical of how they tend to do things um just have a, a challenger directly pin i mean they, they haven't been afraid to have jay white eat some pins i will say that which is interesting yeah i um i like this for what it was i think this is one of those things where like if the show didn't sell out so fast maybe this would have been a title match mm. but that was one of those things where they like they could have kept they kind of got to keep that one in the holster because they didn't really need to load up the card quite as much since yeah. they had such a strong main event well Great. really they had such a strong couple yeah, top sell, sell out in three weeks in advance which is like the, the fastest has ever sold out yeah like a few years ago we were making a big deal out of the fact that they were running osaka joe hall because they hadn't run it in like 20 years so the fact yeah. that they sold it out so quickly is really 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 exciting yeah but Back to the match. Um, I I really liked that they weren't afraid to um, have White take the pin. I liked that they had two guys that just had eating the pin written all over them, <laughs> and they didn't u- utilize all of that. I also think it's notable that uh, Yoshihashi didn't take the pin in the match because they really seemed like I won't be like a lot of people are expecting him to get knocked out of G one this year. Yeah, but- I was like, I don't think it's gonna happen either. I don't think it is either because they've been really, really protective of him. He didn't take a pin here when he would have been an obvious pin eater, especially with who won. And all through uh, the best of the Super Junior undercards, like he was picking up falls all over the place. He kept beating everybody with that butterfly lock submission he's been using. Yeah. So like, but like, I thought he looked good, but they like him and uh, Finley were definitely background players. I love juice i love everything they're doing with juice i love the brutus the barber beefcake x rainbow bright gear i love how like ridiculously over the top he is but i still 100 percent believe he's that guy yeah like he's incredibly old school but he still fits in modern in modern times like i just i'm a huge fan of juice and i 
wouldn't that all be surprised to see him win the U.S. belt? Now let me actually let me ask you a question then. If you, since you're you are such a big Juice fan, and I I enjoy him a lot too. Does it bother you that he hasn't won a title yet? And would it bother you if he loses again to Jay White in in San Francisco? Um, not really, because the, like the long term Gato plan always plays out. Like, well, I'm sure we'll end up talking about this at the end of this. But uh, <laughs> like whatever they're doing with Juice, they know what they're doing. Like, there's a plan in place, and they're going to stick to the plan. And like I'm I'm excited to get to it, but I'm excited I'm excited for everybody to get a bigger spot. Like there's a lot of people on this roster. I'm excited for Sonata. I'm excited for you know everybody wants yeah. Naito to be the top guy. Like it's, that's a, a great point. Sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say what you exactly what you said. I think everybody just like has is so used to the modern WWE style of booking with like everybody beating everybody that they forget that this is actually the way wrestling has been done traditionally, especially in Japan. Like some people are just not going to get to that top spot and it creates that desire to see them get higher, you know? Well, also like, because everybody doesn't get to the top spot, getting to the top spot means so much more. Like if everybody's special, nobody is. Exactly. Like, like I, I, I'm dying to see him go a little further up the card. And I don't think him, winning the u.s title is that big of a like that like the u.s title almost only exists for the american shows yeah. and i'm hopefully they're going to run over here a little bit more often but like it's a promotion of sorts if he wins the title but it's not a huge promotion so like i don't think it'll be the end of the world because you know it could mean he's just going to stay where he's at but it could also mean they have bigger plans for him and giving him a small promotion wouldn't prevent them from giving him a higher promotion yeah I mean, so, see, I could I see, trust Zagato. I, I could, I, I think Jay's going to win, and I think some people are going to freak out on Twitter when when he does. And I don't know. I just, I think people, people just don't know how to react to like clear tears and the idea that like someone might be a bridesmaid. You know, like this might be his position. It doesn't mean he's bad at it. It doesn't mean that he's not a great wrestler. But it means that by the time maybe when he, they do finally pay off a title win, even if it's like, I don't know, like three years from now or something, it'll be an even bigger deal. But I don't know. No one has patience anymore. It's something I definitely yeah. noticed. Um, but yeah, this was a good match. And, you know, I'm looking forward to the U.S. title match. Um, you know, really nothing stood out here. The, the, the one spot in the match that stood out for me was um, there was this really cool spot where Finley was like in the middle of elbowing Jay White in the head. And then Jay White just like suddenly turns it into like one of those snap Saito suplexes. I just thought that was a really unique spot. And like Jay and Jay and Finley have such great chemistry that like they can keep coming back to this probably for the rest of their careers if they want to. But yeah, they're definitely they're they're always gonna be connected, I think. They always yeah. have really good chemistry. They're all they're always they'll always have that backstory of being on lions at the same time. And the win streak and all that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the another thing, like since you said about that that snap Saito suplex, um, one of the things I love about Jay White, and I don't know if this was intentional or if this is how they came up with the name for him or whatever, but all of his offense is very sudden. Like mm-hmm. in between moves, he moves very slowly. Like not to make it too lofty of a comparison, but it's very like old school Muda like. Mm. Where like in between moves, he kind of like slowly slithers into position. But then when he hits a move, it's really, really rapid. 
and like the the contrast of that makes him se- seem really like dangerous in a way. So yeah, I really I, like that about all of his offense now. I think White is pretty great, but but he's very um I don't know he's very divisive with the fan base so far. So you know not everybody agrees, but I definitely I definitely get what he's going for, and I I enjoy him a lot. I mean everybody when you have so many tough guys in New Japan, right? It makes sense to like if you're gonna want to stand out and like you know make your own name for yourself. He's he's the guy who doesn't want to stand there and trade with you, which is an exception in New Japan. So yeah, absolutely, and like you said, uh, like a lot of that is people not having patience. Um, like he got a big debut, so people expected a big return really quickly. But like so many things in New Japan, you need to let it play out. Yeah, like which patience again, I think is a virtue it's... in New Japan. I think it's again people's PTSD with WWE. So, <laughs> um, the third match: Suzuki and Zack Saber Jr. against Ishii and Toriano. Um, Zack Saber Jr. made Toriano tap out to the Jim Briggs armbar at eight forty-two. Um, this was okay. Nothing really that special. Um, I like Suzuki and Zack as a team. I don't really like Ishii and Yano as a team, but it was fine. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I was unaware that there was a Suzuki Ishii match already happening in Europe. Already I set think, up. I think it was booked after this. Oh, it was? I okay, because I saw people talking about that like it was a foregone conclusion. I think and I had missed they, that announcement. So, so they were fighting on the Best of Super Junior Tour on the, on the finals. And I think they like sort of like just made challenges back and forth. So I don't think it was booked until after the show. But I think people were acting like it was a foregone conclusion. Yeah, like I expected it to happen, but I expected it to happen on a, like a New Japan proper show in Japan. So yeah. when I saw it was happening in Europe, I was surprised because like you just said, they did a lot to build this up. Yeah, it's surprising that they would build up a match for somebody else. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, it's the second time they did it this year because they gave they booked they built up uh, they built up Cody and Caddy for Ring of Honor. Yeah, so they've, that's... Been, they've been strangely uh, they've been nicer, I guess, to their partners this year as far as giving them big matches. But no, I I actually really enjoyed this. I liked um like like you said, I liked the Suzuki, uh, Zack Saber Jr. team. I thought Suzuki was actually more impressive as far as his submission work, and like m- maybe people won't like this, but I almost feel like he stepped up because he was teaming with Zack because mm. Zack's doing all this crazy stuff, and like he's Minoru Suzuki, he can't get shown up by this kid, right? Yeah. So I almost feel like kind of Suzuki kind of pulled out the big guns. The other thing yeah. that stood out to me is normally, like on paper, this is one of my favorite kinds of matches. I love brute force versus technique matches, which is what this is going to be when they do the singles. What really stood out to me is when Suzuki and Ishii were in the ring together, all of their exchanges were lightning fast. And I couldn't get over how fast they were countering in, in and out of each other's moves. So I'm interested to see what the singles ends up being like now, if they try and keep up that pace or if they were just doing that because it was a tag or, yeah. but. Well, okay. we'll see it on, New, we'll see it on new Japan world, which is good. Cause I don't have, I don't have the red pro thing, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I did. The, the one spot that stuck out to me was uh, Yano, like going for Suzuki's hair, but like it hasn't grown back enough yet for him to do his hair pull. So Suzuki <laughs> like stuck his tongue out at him and like laughed basically. It was yeah. pretty good. Yeah, I um, thought it was interesting that um I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, it's cool. Um, I thought it was interesting that Ishii's power game, Zach and Suzuki both being submission guys, and Yano's comedy stuff somehow all mixed together pretty well. 
Like nobody seemed out of place. Nobody seemed like they were out of character. Like everybody just kind of played into what everybody else does beautifully. Yeah. And that's that like that's the kind of thing that could go horribly wrong really easily. So yeah, there was I thought like, it was interesting that the chemistry was as good as it was. Yeah, there was like one spot where Zach and Yano kind of got their wires crossed. Like, um, I guess Yano was supposed to basically give his hands to to Zach to like or Zach was supposed to like keep his hands um after Zach had like pulled the turnbuckle pad through Yano's legs. But yeah, he lost his hands, and Yano just kind of had to awkwardly like give his hands back, like right on camera, which is a little, you know, not great. Yeah. But that was really the only like spot in the match that was like, you know, a little awkward. Everything else was pretty, seemed pretty fine. Which, like you said, for all the different styles in the match, couldn't have been easy. And it had a really impressive finish with Zach like trapping his legs, his arms in between his legs, you know, for that when he when when Yano went for that low blow. It's yeah. pretty fun. It was pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, the Japanese fans really reacted well to that because I guess they've seen so many low blows over the years. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I really like about the way Zach, like really the way he's worked for a long time, but one of the things I really enjoy about him is he doesn't always end up in the exact position he wants. Like everything isn't too clean. So a lot of times I think he comes across like, he transitions out of something and he kind of like, there's a second where he kind of assesses the situation, looks where he's at, looks what's available. And then it almost looks like he's making up the submissions as he goes. Yeah. Like he's like, Oh, I have an arm and a leg, so I'll do this. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) it doesn't look overly choreographed, which a lot of intricate submissions can. I think he looks like, um, he looks like a cat wrestler. Like, uh, there was a famous, I think it was Billy Robinson once said, we hold our style, catch as catch can, because we grabbed what he, whatever we could get a hold of. Right. And I think, like, Zach really exemplifies that. It looks like he's grabbing whatever's there and making the most out of it. Um, but then the next match was the Never Title three-way. Um, Hiroki Goto, Michael Elgin, and Taichi. Elgin pinned Taichi in 1346 with the Elgin bomb. Um, you know, first of all, I don't really want to get into anything related to Elgin or, or what people think of Elgin. Um, it's been debated enough on Twitter anyway. So all I'm going to say about this is I was rooting for Taichi and Taichi did not win. Um, and I really do not like three-way matches and, you know, this was okay, but three-ways are not three-ways are not three-way single matches. At least have never been my thing. I just think they're very like convoluted and like, you know, just like, okay, you, I hit you, you roll out of the ring you hit me, you roll out of the ring. Um, I just think they're kind of goofy for New Japan, especially for a title. But, you know, yeah. it was fine for fine for what it was. Uh, Elkin had like a, a, pl- a plancha was pretty cool. He turned an electric chair into an ocean cyclone suplex, which is really cool. Um, I have to call out Kevin Kelly and uh, Don Callis, though, because they did not call it. They had no oh. idea what the ocean cyclone suplex. I was like, oh, go oh, boys. Come on now. Yeah. Um, but other than that, it was it was all right. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I'm not a three-way fan. Like, as with most three-ways, I think a singles between any other, any combination of the guys, I probably would have enjoyed more. Um, yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Like you, I'm, I'm into, t- I'm, I'm all about dangerous tea. I'm into the new Tai Chi. I like, again, I've been watching Japanese wrestling for a long time. I remember when Tai Chi was Tai Chi Ishikari and he was an awkward all Japan junior in trunks. Yeah. So <laughs> seeing what he's grown into over the years, I, I'm glad he's finally kind of like, I'm glad he's not just shtick. 
for a while, when everybody hated him, he was just the character and there was no substance to it. Now he seems to have found that happy middle ground. They've made his role a little bit more serious. Yeah. So I'm getting into the Tai Chi. Do you know what reminds you? Did you see him at all in Noah when he was junior champion? I saw a little bit here and there. I wasn't yeah, paying a ton of attention then. Because because to me, like that was a little, almost like a precursor to this run because he would do these longer matches and do more like serious stuff in between the stick. So I thought that was like, you know, him at his best. And, you know, he's he's topped that, I think, since he uh, went heavyweight. But like that was that was to me an example of what he could do. And it just got really bogged down once he did that that, that Super J Cup. Everybody really hated him with that Super J Cup. Yeah. But it was around the same time, so it was interesting that he just like devolved back into what he was there. But yeah, I thought he was pretty. He was great here as like a total chick of shit. Who, yeah. yeah, yeah, he was a good pinball, which is what he needed to be in this match. Yeah, got bounced around quite a bit. Um, I was kind of like, I had heard that Elgin gotten leaner. But I didn't. I wasn't really ready for how much leaner he got, and it really affected his in-ring style. Like you said, he did a lot more like athletic flying type stuff. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I think the you know the eventual singles will be good. The title win was kind of surprising. So we're, get, we're getting on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. So Elgin Elgin Goto for the never title, which you know, and again, it's logical. He pinned the guy who wasn't the champion, so the champion gets That's, the first title shot. That's another reason why I'm not a fan of three ways. I really, yeah. especially when they're not an elimination. Totally I agree. I really hate when you can win a title <laughs> without beating the champion. Like, it's just a, it's, it's a late. fucking stupid. Bookers give themselves to not. Like, like, you said, you imagine you had a Stanley Cup final and, like, another team skates on the ice and it's like, oh, yeah, you can beat them, too, to yeah. win to win the Stanley <laughs> Cup. It's just fucking stupid. Yeah. It's, it's. It's one of the reasons that I sought out Japanese wrestling was to get away from things like that, so. It's a little I mean, bit disappointing to see it in New Japan. It happens very rarely, I'll say. And at least it was a stupid title, like the Never title. I mean, the only time I can ever remember it happening with the IWGP heavyweight is when um, when Lesnar won it by pinning Chono when Fujita was champion. I think right. that's the only time. So yeah. I guess one time isn't that bad. And there were circumstances there with Fujita. Um, but yeah, the Never title, three-way, it was fine. Hopefully we don't get another three way for a while. I, I do have to admit I was I was like hoping we would get Tai Chi's promise of defending against only juniors. I yeah. thought that would be would have been a funny run, and then it would have been great when like he could have beaten like three juniors in a row or something, and then like finally go up against Kushida and get like tapped out or something like that. It would have been it would have been a, quite the payoff. But yeah, well, but I've just been dying for them to get the juniors into the mix. Like the yeah. whole point of the belt is that it's an open weight belt, but like it's basically a heavyweight belt that says open weight on it. So it, it, it's funny because the, the the announcers have to like it's so awkward for these for Kelly and and uh and, and Callis when they're talking about this because they're like, yeah, so this is Taichi's first title challenge since going heavyweight, but it's for an open weight belt. And it's like they're probably <laughs> thinking like. Why why is this belt open weight? Because he didn't get a challenge for it until he turned heavyweight. So it's just very awkward. Yeah. But all right. So moving on to match number five for the IWGP heavyweight tag team titles. Um Nick and Matt Jackson defeating Sonata and Evil in fifteen oh three with more bang for your buck. Um so what what did you think of this match? I thought I saw I've seen ratings all over the board for this one. So I would love to hear your thoughts on it. I absolutely love this, and it blows my mind that people still don't want to give the Bucks the credit for being a great tag team. Because, like, 
they can be heels or faces. They always like you hear the word psychology a lot when people want to critique the young bucks. And I think that's one of the more misunderstood terms in wrestling. Cause like psychology isn't storytelling. Psychology isn't continuity. Psychology is getting the reaction you want to get. It's, it's controlling how people think, which is why it's called psychology. Mm. So like, I really despise like when people like like Roman Reigns is a good example when people are defending like the Roman Reigns reactions and they're always like well as long as he's getting a strong reaction like I think that sets the bar way too low like yeah it's about getting the right reaction and um like this is kind of a strange analogy but like if your job is to freeze a steak and instead you cook the steak you fucked up yeah how well cooked the steak is is irrelevant you did the opposite of what you were supposed to do and like the Bucks, they always go out and get a strong reaction, but they don't just get a strong reaction. They get the right reaction. They get the reaction they're going for. And this match was just another example of that. Like they had the people in the palm of their hands every second of the whole match. They told a really compelling story. This time I thought it was the Nick Jackson story. A lot of the past matches I've been doing lately have been built around Matt's back. This was right. built around Nick missing that kick and his leg continuing to give out. I thought he sold that beautifully throughout the whole match. Yeah, it led to some really like clever, but still completely logical spots. Like he was able to do things that you think he would be able to do, but he wasn't able to do things he shouldn't be able to do. So I thought there was like the continuity was good there. They didn't like contradict themselves at any point. He didn't like Ibushi and um, BB Hulk years ago. It used to be really heavily criticized for that or like one minute they can't run and then the next minute they can like springboard and backflip and land on their feet and then their leg gives out again and it's really all kind of all over the place like yeah. he was consistently injured throughout the whole match and then they squeaked it out so i love them getting the win i love them moving up to heavyweight i just i absolutely love this match i i went four flat on it i thought it was uh i thought it was an excellent match the only thing that I would nitpick as a nitpicker was um, towards the start, Matt, when he did like his, you know, he did do the, oh no, my back stuff a little bit. And when he was like taking forever just to walk to the other corner with no one impeding his progress, I thought that looked pretty like hokey. So I wish they hadn't done that spot. But other than that sequence, um, I thought the rest of the match was really good. And, you know, when you, you mentioned Nick kicking the post, when like after he kicked the post and evil, like, he basically yelled Nick's name like he's a Josie wrestler and then like did that awesome lariat on his and took the legs out from under him. That was an awesome spot. And then, you know, Nick not being able to do the Meltzer driver just because of his leg and then ha- them having to go back to the more bang for your buck instead, you know, paid it off really well. And I thought, you know, it was an awesome match. I thought going in, I, th- I thought they, they had a chance to win, but this is another one that to me was a complete toss up. So, um, you know, it was a it was a good good title match, and Evil Sonata, I think they deserve a lot of credit for stabilizing these titles. You know, after a rough couple of years with a lot of title changes and a lot of teams that the fans maybe weren't necessarily that into. You know, they had a they had a good run here. You know, it's exactly what people were screaming about with these with the heavyweight tag division for years. It's like, why don't you just take two over heavyweights that weren't, aren't doing anything, and let them have the run with the belts, and they finally did it. So, and it worked. But, um, yeah. you know, we got that awesome Korokin main event with Okada and Godo, and then we got a very well-built-up rematch with Killer Lead Squad. So, very good title reign, I think. Yeah, I thought they'd been excellent. And they could they could stay at it. Like, it was like I was saying earlier with people that don't have anything going on as singles. 
just bouncing around in the tag division. Like they could stay a tag team or one or both of them could get bumped up into the single scene at some point. Like you can turn a lot of these guys on a dime and just do whatever you want with them. Like a lot of them are just utility players. You can plug in wherever you want now. So and, and they clearly had they had to get the belt off of evil though, because as we'll see later, yet they had other plans for him. Um, but match six, a special six man tag team match. It was the Bullet Club of Cody, Hangman Page, and Marty Scroll defeating the all-star team of Tanahashi, Jushin Thunder Liger, and Rey Mysterio Jr. Cody pinning Liger in 11.35 at the crossroads. Um, not really that shocked to see Cody get the win. I thought maybe they would have someone pin Scroll, but if you're going to have Cody... like It's one of those things where Godot has his, like, he has his priorities straight. It's like, yeah, it might have been cool to see Ray get a win, but like Cody's your next title challenger. He should get the pin. It's pretty... Pretty simple, so um, but yeah, it was a I, Ray Mysterio looked awesome, <laughs> like he was uh moving really well. His half lion mask was so really was so cool, um, very cool little match while it lasted. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. They didn't do too much, they didn't like because it was a you know, this was a special attraction match, so they yeah. didn't they didn't overstay their welcome, they gave you a taste of everybody and they made you want more. Yeah. So, I think. I think whatever they do with Ray Jr. moving forward is going to be exciting because they didn't give away too much. Um, like, they can still do the match with him and Liger. They can still do, you know, they set up him and Osprey. Like, they can put him in the title mix. Like, yeah. I think him mixing up with a lot of guys in the junior division could be really interesting. I also went nuts for the mask. I was losing my mind live. Yeah, that is such a cool mask. <clears throat> but it also, like, he's, again, like, things like that make it seem like he gets it and he's excited to be there. Yeah. And... There's there are a few things more excited than a highly motivated Rey Mysterio Jr. I also think it's interesting that Tanahashi was in this match just because of the story they told with him and Okada and him kind of his time being over. I think him slipping down into a special attraction six man that went such a short period of time, like even when people don't have a big role, sometimes it's a big part of their ongoing thing. So I'm I'm interested to see what kind of a G one he has. Yeah, after seeing him booked in this match in Dominion. That's going to be big is what, what he does in the G1. I think, you know, he's he's basically I, someone I saw someone on Twitter. I can't remember who it was. So I can't give you credit, but <laughs> I'm sorry for that, buddy. But I saw someone on Twitter say something like we got like six more years of these Tanahashi special attractions, six men's. And I'm sure that's probably right other than maybe I, I you know what? I could see him be the one to beat Jericho. You know, yeah, that would shock. Yeah. And go back to the Intercontinental. But, you know, if this is what he's doing, then this is what he's doing. I guess we'll find out. But um, I think it's pretty clear he'll at least be – I think he'll at least get that Yuji Nagata. Like, Yuji Nagata got a bunch of challenges well after his own, you know, peak, too, well after he was 40. So I'm sure we'll see Tanahashi continue that. Um, he's probably still got, like, five more years of relevance, I think, before he's completely, like, in, you know, Tenzan slash Kojima territory. Um, all right, so match number seven, the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title. Will Ospreay defending against Hiromu Takahashi. Hiromu wins in 2020 with the time bomb. Uh, this was fucking awesome. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I will say, they, I di- didn't get the sense that they were really trying to top the Hiromu uh, Ishimori match. Maybe they just didn't think they had enough time to top it. You know, we only got a 20 minute match compared to, you know, a 35 minute one where they, they just. Hiromu and Ishimori tried to do like everything under the sun. And I think, you know, had what I still think is the match of the year so far, but that's not to say this wasn't awesome. I still want four and a half on this, but um, 
yeah, I don't know if the goal was necessarily to top that Hiromu Ishimori match more just to have another great match. Yeah, I'm... I love everything this division's producing. I love that they can just drop somebody into the background and then like put them right back into the limelight. They like what they've done with, with Hiromu over the course of best of the super juniors for a while. A lot of people were really frustrated with him doing like goofier stuff and the stuff with Daryl and like a lot of like people wanted him to be a top guy and he was just kind of hanging out in the background. He was in ta- junior tag feuds. And then just one tournament later, he's, you know, winning the title of dominion. Yeah. So I really love the triangle he's using and the way he's using it. I like the, the they did an incredible counter to the Stormbreaker where he got into the triangle from there that I went yeah. nuts over. That's pretty crazy. I love that even if he doesn't tap people with the triangle the first time he does it, it, it sucks everything out of everyone. Like no one is the same after they've been in that hold for a while. And I love that kind of match-to-match continuity of what they're telling with that. So, but yeah, I absolutely went nuts for this. Like, there's stuff only the two of those guys can do. Like, I love the way their counter exchanges are getting longer and longer, and they're they're getting better at countering one another, and they're they're having to change up their own games to throw off the other's counters now. Like, I just, I love when the first match leads to the second match leads to the third match, like... And you see a lot of that in New Japan, but I thought this might be the best we've ever seen it from the juniors. Like, yep. I thought it was absolutely incredible. So you started out with Will's like crazy ramp dive. Um, the only thing I would call a little bit boring during this match was maybe Will's like submission stuff. I get what he was going for with it, but like it almost fell out of place after like opening with that crate, that insane ramp dive. So if I have any major complaint in the match, that'd probably be it. I didn't really feel like I went anywhere either. But after that, Osprey did like he did two. They did those two reverse Ranas, which played. He kind of played off the match in the Mori. It's the spot in the Mori match, and you know that's when um, Hiromu did his first counter, uh, the Storm Chaser into that Sunset Flip, which is a really cool counter. And then he jumped from the Hiromu jumped from the corner into the Canadian Destroyer right into the D, and then Osprey drops him right on his fucking head to counter it. Like that—that yeah. that was one of the thicker head drops of the entire night. That that counter of the day, so like I screamed at that one. <laughs> um, and then he countered the storm. Thing, like you were talking about countering the storm chaser into the D, um, but then it felt like Hiromu kind of knew that wasn't going to be enough. So he stands up out of it. He does that running, um, you know, from a fireman's carry position into the corner, and then hits the time bomb for the pen. But yeah, fucking awesome match. I mean, what else? I don't know what else you could expect from these two at this point, especially from Hiromo and the role he's been on. But um, good, good tattering for Osprey, though. Yeah, yeah, I think I've like a lot of people are really critical of his selling. I really like him. I think um, he's he's like he's somebody that plays to the back row. Everything he does is really big, and I enjoy that's very that. True. Um, I, I, that's interesting. I wanted to ask you, like, as a former wrestler, so did, none of the screaming stuff really bothers you. No, not really. In fact, what's weird to me, like. I don't think every wrestler should be the toughest person in the world. Mm. So like different people have different thresholds of pain. So like Will Ospreay's offense is really incredible, but like, he's not like a big, like, you know, fighting spirit, no cell guy that like absorbs all this punishment. So I'm perfectly fine with the idea that if you get him in a hold and crank on it, he screams like a, you know, like, a <laughs> bitch. like I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, an interesting thing about him though, is uh, when the, Famous slash infamous 
match with Ricochet a few years ago that everybody was talking about. Yeah. Um, when that match happened, uh, my wife absolutely hates two things in wrestling. She hates really ridiculous comedy and she hates overly contrived spotty stuff. So when everybody was talking about that match and, you know, things looking choreographed or whatever, I, I showed it to her and I asked her what she thought of it. And the first thing she asked me was if Osprey had a background in theater. And I tweeted this at the time and somebody sent me a YouTube link because apparently he does. Yeah, he does. He does. I've heard this. And too. so I think um, in a weird way, he's kind of a, he's kind of a perfect storm of like, normally people are either a really great performer or they're a really great athlete. And then they learn the other one on the job kind of. Yeah. He came in as this incredible acrobat and someone with a theater background. So I think that's why I'm so into him because he's in a weird way. He's kind of the best of both worlds. So I think he's, that's why he's incredibly advanced for his experience in my opinion. Yeah, like, I agree. He's, not, he's not a gymnast who's learning to perform or a performer that's learning to wrestle. Like he's a performer and a gymnast who became a wrestler. And it's interesting because the selling um, this, the, the knock on him forever was that he couldn't sell at all. So, you know, once he, it's it's, it's for having fun to watch the the critique go in the other direction now, but yeah, you know, um, I thought he had a good title reign. Maybe I wouldn't put him. I'm not like at Joe Lanza level with him. There, I'm wanting to declare him the undisputed wrestler of the year or anything, but it's a good reign. Um, Semi main IWGP Intercontinental Title: Chris Jericho defeating Tetsuya Naito in seventeen sixteen with the Code Breaker after a low blow. Okay, speaking of fucking awesome, this is fucking <laughs> awesome. Um, started off with this really wild brawl. So that seventeen sixteen doesn't include like all this post the pre match stuff that happened, which probably went on for like a good four or five minutes at least. Um, you know, Jericho gives him a power bomb to the table, gives him a DDT on the table, and then finally tosses him back in. Like demands the referee ring the bell. Um, also, worth mentioning, Chris Jericho's like outfit because he looked like kind of looked like this. Final Fantasy character Kefka with the eye makeup. Like, that was the first thing I thought of when I saw it. And, like, you know, a lot of people on Twitter pointed this out, too. So, you know, it wasn't just me being a huge nerd. Um, but, yeah, I mean, really unique look. And, you know, Don, Don Callis on, on the commentary on the English feed again was, like, just really harping on this idea. Like, he's like, this is the first time Chris Jericho's had the corporate shackles off him in 18 years. I just remember thinking, well, before that he was in WCW where that's pretty corporate, but okay. But yeah, I mean, he was very like, um, he was very like fired up about the quote unquote new Chris Jericho. I thought he did actually did a great job of putting him over. Um, but yeah, the match was awesome. Just a crazy brawl with like, you know, I called him the goth, the goth, glam goth granddad, triple G, Chris Jericho. I thought he was just, just awesome here. Yeah, I I really liked the look just because he didn't come out in his WWE Chris Jericho trunks. Yeah, like I like that we got a different Chris Jericho. So like, how, it was not sparkly. Like, right, that's what I mean. Like how different it was didn't really make a difference to me. Just the fact that he had a new look, I thought was really awesome. And then just the match, like it was far and away the most violent thing on the whole show. Like the power bomb through the table looked like death. The DDT on the table looked like death. Like this was the one fight on the show and everybody else had a wrestling match, but yeah. uh, like Naito's eye getting bloodied. Like 
I almost questioned if that was intentional because of the eye appeal he does. Yeah, it could have been, like, right? That was an I incredible would, I would have put a I would have put it past these two. Yeah, like it just the aesthetics of it were incredible and the drama of it was incredible. Like I like they had that one rough patch when they weren't on the same page with the Destino. Yeah, and otherwise and that's, the, that's the only thing the only flaw I have in this match. It's a big enough flaw to me to put it like at four and a half, but that's the only flaw of note. Like other than that, this was pretty much a perfect brawl. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, and I'm I'm really excited about where it goes because, yeah. like, on one hand, he's saying he won't he won't wrestle for New Japan on U.S. soil. On the other hand, like, he came out and said that he you know the Naito match wasn't going to happen, and here we are talking about it. Yeah. So maybe he will, maybe he won't. If he doesn't, maybe that'll just add more heat to him being a champion in New Japan. So I love yeah. the unpredictability that comes with him. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things that reminds me a lot of like, um, you know, the, like a shock, a shock Ring of Honor title change, like from back in the day when, like, when CM Punk won the belt when he's supposed to be leaving. It's one of those things that just kind of feels like it's not supposed to be happening, you know. Right. So, which I think is always important to have in wrestling. I think it makes it makes wrestling seem more, you know, real or just like everything is more um, unpredictable than you think. Because I. I actually called this one. I predicted Jericho on the on the VOW preview, but that was just me, like you know, hoping, like making a blind guess and hoping I could look smart if it came through. But like, I just felt like they had to get this white belt off of Naito. You know, he he doesn't want it, and you know, he does he he doesn't need it if he's going to main event the Dome with Okada again, which is what I presume is going to happen. Although, who really knows? I guess. Um, and you know, if you got Jericho for more dates, like why the hell not? You know, you're in a kind of paper with Chris Jericho. Why not? Why not? That's pretty fucking cool. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, like it's not like not having that white belt is on your all your shows is gonna like be make a break for drawing or anything. So, um, yeah, I agree completely. I also think it's interesting as far as Naito's character goes because of Naito's whole thing being that he's too cool to care. Yeah. I really think like Jericho might end up being the thing that gets him to care. And part of the reason, like I loved the story of him coming up short at Wrestle Kingdom. That was kind of a divisive thing, but I was, I was of the, of the opinion that it was like, now I think we've all seen that it was the right decision, but I think at the time I still thought it was the right decision. I loved that kind of tragic ending to that match. But part of the reason why I didn't think it made sense to put the belt on him at the time was that I don't think in the long term, people get behind somebody that doesn't care. So mm-hmm. I think he has to kind of go through a little bit of a metamorphosis character-wise. Like, he needs to get to a different, a slightly different place before he can be the face of the company. Maybe. So I think I, this Jericho feud might end up getting him there. The the one disagreement, I, I, I'm still not sure if it was the right call, because the, the one criticism you could have of how everything played out is that Naito, you know, seemed kind of lost from, like, you know, Wrestle Kingdom through the start of the Suzuki feud, and I don't know if you really want your most popular guy to be to feel so lost in the shuffle. So I, I still think that's a valid critique of the decision, but I do agree that, like, it at least hasn't been a disaster, which at the time I would have thought it was, would have been a disaster, but um, that's also the Naito fan of me, I guess. Um, as far as this result, so, so saying that, I think people would have would probably people who know me and know the show 
will probably expect me to be a lot more upset about Naito losing here. And I know some Naito fans were very upset, but I really don't have any, I, I don't think it hurts him at all to lose to, you know, a legend like Chris Jericho. I don't think that's going to hurt his popularity, you know, one iota. And like you're saying, it could, it could help. This could be something they go back to as like a, you know, down the line with a Naito Jericho rematch, maybe not even for this belt, maybe for another belt. <laughs> so, you know, maybe this is like Naito's a big defense for Naito for another title down the line. So, you know, I think it is a, it's a good idea to to establish something like Jericho is like maybe being his bugaboo, like something he has to overcome down the line. I don't really have any problem with that. So, um, yep, absolutely. But yeah, Naito Jericho, awesome, just an awesome brawl. Um, some of the other stuff I noticed during the match, I thought it really ruled when the Osaka crowd like started getting on Naito again. You know, there's always going to be that percentage of the crowd apparently that doesn't like him. Um, and he responded by like choking Jericho out on the floor with his tearaway pants. Just thought that was like an awesome, like, oh, if you're going to boo me, I'm going to really give you something to boo about. Um, then Naito went back out to that table where Jericho did the DT on and gave him a pile driver on the same table, which is really cool. Um, Jericho did like an awesome counter from the top rope Rana into the walls of Jericho, which was just an awesome counter. One of the best of the entire night, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then once you he hit the push the nitro out of the way, hit him with the or hit him with a low blow and the code breaker for the pin. So uh Jericho lays him out at the end, beats him up with the belt, then he tries to whip him with his belt, and then evil runs him off, which that to me is it could be a really cool match. You know, it's not one I ever would have thought of. It's one of those ghetto like um out of nowhere curveballs, but once it once that seemed to be what they were setting up, um, you know, it did kind of it, it seems like you know, the the new, like, you know, gothic look Jericho versus Evil. It's kind of a cool match. And it, Jericho's reaction on the English commentary was really funny because he just, like, he went on the commentary and said, uh, you know, he was taunting Naito, and he just says, and you, who the hell are you? So, like, he didn't even know who Evil was, which <laughs> I thought was a, a cool little reaction. But I definitely think if they're teasing that, that'd be, that could be a cool first defense for Jericho. Um, I don't think it'd be the one to beat him for the title, but who knows? I guess they could do it if they want to. Yeah, it would. That wouldn't surprise me. I also wouldn't be surprised to see Jericho go through Lij. Oh yeah, that's possible too. So I could like and like Jericho Sonata, I would particularly love to see. I just yeah. like I was talking earlier about moves working in and out of each other. I think there's a lot of potential for good stuff with Jericho and Sonata. So that's a match. I hope certainly hope we get to see down the line. Um, and then the main event, the uh, two out of three falls, IWGP heavyweight title, no time limit. Kenny Omega defeating Kazuchika Okada in a total match time of 64.50, not including any rest periods, in which case you're talking more like 70 minutes. Um, first of all, I what do you think this stands in the in the pantheon of Okada Omega? It's far and away my favorite. I agree. Yeah. And I wasn't as high on the on all the series last year as some people, but um this one at four and three quarters was my was my favorite of the four. I think the, the most interesting comparison to me is comparing it to the draw last year. And you know, because obviously they both won so long. And to me, where where this one really stands out is the two out of three falls, which a lot of people thought was gonna be a detriment going into this match. That was a lot of talk I heard, actually ended up being like a huge like boost for the match. Because it let each fall, you know, each fall along the way, like really 
build in, in and of itself along with building to the larger match. So you don't have a situation like you had last year where, you know, not that the first 20 minutes of that draw last year were bad or anything, but it was just like all that leg stuff never felt like it played into the rest of the match for me. And, you know, the first 20 minutes almost feel like they, they really had no reason to be there last year. Whereas this year, you know, you get to that 28-47 mark, everything built so well into that first fall of Okada getting that roll up. And then, you know, you get you can you reference that again with Okada going for another roll up and almost getting it in the exact same way on the second fall. And everything builds really well from one fall to the next. So that's why I think this one was far and away superior to the six minute draw last year at least. Yeah, um, a lot of times when when people put together a two out of three falls match, they fall into the trap of doing a fall really quickly. Yeah. Because the idea is that you want to have drama. You want to have somebody get behind really quickly. So now there's a struggle for them to get caught up. What they did here is almost like flew in the face of that. Like it was the opposite of that. Like they had like a whole match and then had two more falls. Yeah. So it didn't. It wasn't one of those like, you know, you two wrestled to a 60 minute draw, but for some reason, one of you just beat the other in five minutes. You know what I mean? So I really liked that. I really liked, um, I, I got really nervous early when, um, when Okada went for his plancha where he dives over the railing yeah. and Kenny countered it with the knee. I didn't see the knee at first <laughs> because Okada's knee clipped the top of the railing. Yeah. And I thought he got really badly hurt. And for a second, I was like, oh, my God, they're this early in a, this, what's sure to be a really long match. So then they showed the replay, and I, I saw the knee. And then I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, that, yeah. was, that was completely lost on me the first time before they showed the replay. But, uh, uh, <clears throat> like, I love that Kenny put so much stock into the first fall and then lost. I loved, like, one thing that the, really added way, a lot to the this. The way he lost, too, I thought really added to that too. Yeah. But then like they call back to that later on in the match, they call back to past finishes in the match. They call back to just past big moments in the match. Like there was a, there was a callback to the collapse counter to the rainmaker where he just fell Yeah, in the last match where he did that on his drop kick, which I thought was really interesting. Like he just hit the ropes and collapsed on that like that i went nuts for like omega's selling was just off the charts in this not just selling moves and pain but just like emotions and reactions it's interesting though you point that out i thought the callback was when okada went for the rainmaker and you know he had nothing behind it so omega just stood there and okada collapsed maybe they're maybe they're both callbacks like yes no i I think they were that's what i mean like there's so many layers to this story and the thing like this match kind of embodies what I love so much about new Japan. They reward you for paying attention. Yeah. Like so many things in WWE, like if it happened three months ago, it didn't happen. Like happened a week I ago. watch every minute of every new Japan show on new Japan world, like religiously because everything matters. Everything from those young lion matches that everybody thought were throwaway matches a couple of years ago. And now they're the foundation that the stuff Jay white and David Finley are doing in their matches. Like everything that ever happens matters. So like, I want that deeper understanding of everything. Like this is one of those matches where like, if you watch it in a vacuum in and of itself, it's a great match. If you paid attention to everything leading up to this, if you watched all those translated 
sit down interviews they put on New Japan World. And if you yeah. if you paid attention to the whole story, it's just on a completely other level. But yeah, I totally, I totally agree that this was a a, a fantastic match, um, and it definitely rewarded people for paying attention, as you said. So the first fall, you know, you you already mentioned that V trigger spot. Um, there's a there were basically a bunch of dives during this fall. This felt like the 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 flying fall, I guess. Um, we got like an Okada dive 15 minutes in. We had the Omega springboard dive over the railing. It probably made sense to put all that stuff. You know, towards the start of a match that was going almost 65 minutes, so that made sense. Um, Okada hit like a like a tombstone on the apron, which was looked pretty sick. Um, but yeah, the the he, Okada goes for the rainmaker. Uh, Kenny tries to sunset flip him, and Okada just kind of like sits down into a counter and gets the pin at 28:47. And you know, the fans were not expecting that at all, as you can hear from the reaction. Um, the start of the second fall would be the only thing that I really found boring in the entire match it just felt like a lot of like you know kenny like clubbering them and it's clear they were trying to like maybe stall for time a little bit although the second fall the second fall went 1910 overall um once they got back to that um avalanche cross like busters when it really picked up the thing that i think helped them a lot too was um japan has not seen a lot of these two out of three falls matches especially in a major position like this so they were not as dead for the second fall as I think they would have been in America or, you know, where a country where like people are more used to this stipulation. I feel like the second fall, they, they, they started out a little bit dead, but by the middle and towards the end, they really actually got pretty into the second fall to the point where, you know, it didn't feel like they were just sitting around waiting for Kenny to tie it up. It felt like they legitimately thought, you know, maybe Okada could just win two falls to none. Yeah. Um, and then Okada almost gets to pin with the same cradle I thought it was awesome too that he hit the he hit that spinning tombstone because that and that was like the the his trump card in all these title matches that really ended up being his trump card against Naito, you know that when he hit that spinning trump card that spinning tombstone that ended up being like the beginning of the end for Naito, and here Omega just counters the rainmaker right after that into that crazy you know Uranage where he dropped him right on his head, and that ends up being like almost like okay well your trump card is not going to work on me this time. Um, but yeah, so then you, the same cradle almost gets the pin. Um, Kenny does that tiger driver 91 or 93. I can never remember the year on it, whichever one, like where, where he drops him right on his head, basically. Yeah. It was 91. Yeah. 91. Okay. And then Kenny gets the pin in 1920 with the one winged angel. And that's the second fall. Now, when Kenny got the pin with the one winged angel, did you think that meant he was not winning this match? Because that was the first thing that went through my head. I was like, are they really going to have him hit, get two straight falls, both with the one-winged angel? I was like, oh my God, Okada's retaining. Um, to be honest, I was so drawn in. I, I could have went either way at that point. But yeah. um, I for, for a while, I felt like somebody was going to do something new when they, they finally beat Okada. Mm. I thought they were going to debut a new move because... Like you were saying um, about that, that spinning tombstone being his trump card, he normally either evades or counters their big finish Yeah, when he leads into that. So I thought the way somebody was going to finally take him out was to hit him with something they hadn't seen him do before. Yeah. Which so I kind of was like half expecting him either to use like maybe one of Ibushi's moves, which he which played in later, um, or just do something new. So I didn't like 
it kind of reinforced that thought in my head more than thinking he wasn't going to win. If that makes sense. Gotcha. Um, so the third fall starts with Omega immediately hitting another V trigger. Goes for another one winged angel. Okada counters into the Rainmaker, which is an awesome spot. It's like, oh my God, he's going to win this fucking fall in like a minute. But um, he can't go with the pin fast enough and Kenny kicks out. And that's where Kenny hits the Styles Clash, which is a really cool little callback and the crowd chanted for AJ. Um, and then he countered a tombstone into the Gonzo Driver. Um, and then he went for the Phoenix Splash, like you were saying, you know, Ibushi's finisher, which is doubly cool just because Ibushi was out there. Um, and then, he, then there was that spot we talked about where he withstood the Rainmaker, you know, sort of like the Shibata one, except this time it was more because Okada was so exhausted. It was like an inverse of the one where Kenny just fell last year on the on the Rainmaker. So Okada just didn't have enough behind it. Um, but then Okada gets two Rainmakers. He goes for another one, hits a German. And then the rest of the match is kind of them battling back and forth with the Germans, which again, it is, is plays into everything because Okada... The other way he had been beating people throughout this reign were those German suplexes leading into the Rainmaker. But, you know, they fight over it. They keep going back and forth. Um, and then finally, after Kenny gets the reverse... Kenny gets the reverse Rana. Okada was laying in wait for the drop kick at that point and gets it, and that's where Don Callis did his his goddamn it call of the year. Because last year he had yelled out when Okada hit the drop kick, you know, like, that goddamn drop kick! And this year it was just, God damn it! <laughs> so he was just so fired up. Um, Man hates dropkicks. <laughs> he really hates those dropkicks. Um, but yeah, so Kenny counters, in, but then Kenny counters the Rainmaker after that dropkick into like the quickest one more you'll ever see, but can't go for the cover because he's so out of it. Then he hits a huge V trigger, another one ring danger for the pin. Um, so Ken, so they, they managed to, really impressive, they managed to do. You know, 64-50, two falls, and still no one is kicked out of the one-ring angel. Okada has not kicked out of this move, which is, you know, they've still saved the one-ring angel kick out for another day. So that's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's it's New Japan long-term storytelling, like we always talk about. Like, it's like a lot of people would be tempted to just let it all hang out for this. Like, okay, this is the big show. Like, they always are thinking of the next thing. They're always, they've always still got something in the holster that they haven't given up yet. And they're already, you know, they're already building up what the next thing is going to be before they're even thinking about using up that one. So um, I'm really drawn into the don't let go story, the story of the risk control. Mm -hmm. And the way I saw the exchange of the Germans was them never breaking that. And it was like, neither of them would let go. So right. I was waiting for that to end up with being the one who did, being the one who lost. So that got me a little nervous when I think, because I think it was Kenny that broke it finally. Didn't Kenny break it finally and do like the reverse Frankensteiner? Yeah. So, but like that had me, like I was like leaning over my coffee table as that was happening because I was just completely drawn in by that part of the match. But I went nuts for when Kenny countered the Rainmaker with the one-winged angel. I loved that moment where they're just laying next to each other on the ropes. And, like, tension's building, tension's building. And then I kind of expect, like, you were talking about uh, him winning with the same move twice. I kind of expected Kenny to win with just a series of V-triggers where he would just kind of pound him into the ground and finally pin him. But it just it finished on such a high note and... 
it's I, I don't think it's exaggerating to say it's one of the best matches I've ever seen. Like I just I thought it was an absolute work of art. I, I put it just below that level, but still, you know, four and three quarters is still pretty good. So, um, but yeah, I w- I thought it was fantastic, and you know, we have a new champion. So, what are you, what are your thoughts on Omega as champion? Did they wait too um, long? Did they wait just right the amount right right, right the amount of time? And how do you see his reign going? Um, I'm excited for it just because like he's creative and he's he's forward thinking and he's you know he's doing very big things and he's doing them on a very high level but uh also i don't think there was any purpose to keeping the okada rain going like yeah he's like the only records left for him to break if i'm not mistaken don't require a single title reign yeah it's only it's just like you know the community the cumulative or whatever you want to say yeah the I lifetime that word, apparently yeah the lifetime uh, <laughs> we'll just switch words. There you um, go. Yeah, there we go. Um, but so like there were like but people were worried about it getting stale. He was still like he wasn't failing at the box office, obviously. No. But I just think that part of the story is done. Like obviously, I'm excited for what Kenny does. I'm excited for like you know the, the Golden Lovers story and the other stuff surrounding him to kind of move into the main event slot. But I'm also more interested in Okada now because like the unbeatable champion that just knocks everybody away can only stay interesting for so long. Like I'm more interested to see what Okada does moving forward now, because I want to see how he rebounds from this. So yeah, I think it was one of those situations where like with the title change, I think both guys benefited individually and like just new Japan in general is way more interesting than it was before dominion. I agree. Um, I would say one question here. Do you think it's too predictable if Okada immediately rebounds and wins the G1? Um, I wouldn't be against it, but if I were like, I think I've, I think I tweeted this already, but if it were up to me, the, the G1 final I would do is Ibushi and Okada. Because mm. I think both stories are equally interesting, but I kind of want Okada to fail and have to loop around a bit before he gets back to winning the belt. I think That's the true. G1 might be a little too soon. I'd rather see, like, I think Ibushi winning the G1 and there being kind of tension there because we have months in between the G1 ending and Wrestle Kingdom happening. Right. So I think a story that has that much time to play out with what they've already been laying down between the two of them, I think that could be really, really interesting. See, and obviously I, the matches are going to be good. Right. So I, I think we're getting to Okada Naito and Omega Ibushi at the Dome either way. The question is what those matches are going to be for and what they're going to, you know, how we're going to get there. Um, I did think it was very interesting that Omega put, you know, t- threw a shot in at Naito in his post-match promo, which, you know, he clearly he probably did not do on accident. So um, I think that's a very big title match at some point, maybe for October. So we'll have to wait and see, I guess. Um, but there's a lot of ways they could go now, which is always very exciting. And it really feels like anything can happen at this point, even if, you know, I I don't think there's anything wrong with going the predictable route, which to me, the most predictable route is Okada wins the G1 and Naito wins the belt from Omega at, you know, at King of Pro Wrestling. And that's how we get Okada and Naito again. Um, then you obviously have to do something to set up Omega Ibushi, but, you know, you have a lot of time to get to January. So there's no, there's a lot of right answers is what I guess what I'm saying. Yeah. So. That's Gato for you. 
we got that was that actually covers a question. So I might we might as well just talk about it now. Is that your prediction then, Okada? Ibushi beating Okada in the G1 final and Omega Ibushi as the title match at the Dome? Yes. If it were up to me, that's what I would do. I think that's like both story wise and match wise, I think that's that's the way I would go. Yeah, my prediction is what I just said that Okada wins the G1. Um I would do Okada Ibushi too, actually, as the final, but I just have Okada win, and we get to Naito Okada at the Dome. Obviously, I would have Naito win, but have to wait and see what happens. Um, who wins Omega Ibushi? Ah, uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think Omega. Yeah, I would think so too. Um, all right. I really want him. I don't want it to be Okada length, but I really want him to have a long run. Like, I don't think he's going to be a like. With what he's been producing, I don't. I think the plans for him are very big, and I think he's going to have the belt for a little while. All right, so that is Dominion. Overall, have to pretty much call it a show of the year contender. I don't know how else you can describe a match, with, a show with that many awesome matches and no bad matches. I mean, that's my show of the year so far. Yeah, I thought it was absolutely incredible was top to bottom. Better than the dome, I thought. And the dome was good. I thought this was better. There's absolutely um, no filler. Like, it's really... The only thing that's crazier than the card is who wasn't on the card. Like, you could you could put together a pretty big show just with the people that are on New Japan's roster and weren't on this show. Yeah. So It's crazy who was on the sidelines for this. Uh, you know, obviously Ibushi. Like, that's a lot of other people. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, but, yeah. So, let's get into some questions here. We got a lot of mailbag questions. Um Let's start with at AWQ1985. What's your favorite New Japan faction? Uh, top to bottom right now, LIJ. Um, for me. I think this might be an unpopular opinion, but I think right now New Japan's doing multi-man tags better than anybody, and that includes Dragon Gate. I think mm-hmm. one of my favorite things New Japan does are the Naniwa uh, style elimination, like eight and ten-man tags. And I think like every like LIJs in those all the times. I never don't love those. Those are always yeah. I, told, I totally agree. The elimination tags are always awesome. Yeah. And LIJ is the one unit that I that I will always watch the multi-man tags for. Whereas they can still be a little, they can feel a little stale and samey with the other units. But when LIJ is in there, they're always awesome. Those five just work together so well. Yeah. Um. So Super J Cast, another podcast on the. Voices of Wrestling Network. They asked us our picks for the final and Wrestle Kingdom main event, which we just did. But who's getting the spare G1 spots? I have no idea. Is there a spare G1 spot? Like, um, I guess there's one for Yuji Nagata, and it looks like it's if you they so they put out like an insert on in Weekly Pro Wrestling, and Jay White's on the ad, so clearly he's getting that spot. I right. think. So then the question is, if you if anyone else is going to be in, you have to take someone else out. Um, and I don't know who it's going to be. So that it might be that might be it, folks. It might just be Jay White. <laughs> um, I think if there's one guy I could that hasn't been in G1 that I could get in there it would be Hanare. Mm. I think he's the next in the mold of the like Ishi Goto uh, Makabe when he wants to like those Hanma those super like high impact like I can I can dish out more damage than you can take matches. And I'm really excited to see him develop. I think he's developing very quickly. And I think like the G1 would be good for him. 
as far as that development goes, but I'm also, I, I think he'd be a really solid addition. So he's, if there's one new guy, I hope it's him besides Jay White, obviously. Yeah. I mean, I would love to see Tai Chi in there. I think he would be like Yano where, you know, gives you something different on every card. And, you know, I think different is good when you've got a long G1. Um, I don't think we're going to get any surprise outsiders, but if we did, I, I really would want to go with Junakiyama just because it's, you know, the Budokan for the finals and everything. Um, but I don't, I just don't see it happening. So I guess we'll say, yeah, I think um, are people still hoping for Sekimoto too? Cause I know when he did that lion. Yes. Game. Which I think is very unrealistic. But... <laughs> if we're wish listing, he would be my Japanese outsider. Okay. I mean, I, I would go with Akiyama just cause of Budokan, but Sekimoto would be good too. I'm sure won't be complaining. Um, so Angus McGinnis, um, Alphonse 0079. Do you miss old Kenny Omega at all? Stop time, Hadouken, Chainsaw, etc. And how do you rate his junior run compared to modern guy, modern guys? Uh, well, I think like Omega's always been great. I've always really looked forward to everything he did, but I definitely pref- like choosing one or the other. I definitely prefer more serious Kenny to goofier Kenny. Like I like a little bit of lighthearted comedy in matches. Like I, I came through Jakara. I kind of have that in my blood. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, but like if I had to choose one or the other, I would definitely take the current version of Kenny. Like he's just, he's too good. And I think he couldn't be what he is now if he was still doing stuff like that. So yeah, I enjoy stuff like that, but I'm glad Omega isn't doing that anymore. And what do you think about his junior run versus the current ones? I, I kind of think it doesn't really stack up to like Osprey or Hiromu's reigns, but yeah, I wouldn't. Um, you also have to look at the climate of the junior division at the time, though. Like, yeah, I think, like, it's incredibly loaded now. Like, it's it's unreasonably loaded. So, I think if you compare dance partners, it might make a bit more sense. Like, I think, like, junior Kenny could definitely hang with any of the guys currently in the division. Yeah. But I think just the, the, the rest of the division wasn't at the level to be producing the stuff that the current division is delivering now. Yeah, makes sense. Um, but yeah, I would agree with you. And, you know, I, I wasn't really a fan of the goofy, goofy stuff. But um, I don't know. So like I, I enjoyed his goofiness in DDT, but it just kind of felt like weirdly out of place for me in New Japan. So I didn't mind when he stopped doing it. Um, at LU Tang Secret, um, he said, this is definitely a question for you because I don't know anything about the U.S. Indies. Recently, a, promotion, a promoter suggested that the decline of DVD video sales or put a greater emphasis on ticket seller slash local event attendance versus dream matches slash national appeal. Do you see such a change on a business level? Um, I think the direction, especially in the independence, I think the direction is streaming. I think the direction is, I totally, yeah. Like you're not selling a top level match anymore so much as you're selling a promotion as a whole. So you're trying to like, it's not so much like you're not trying to buy, like sell, you know, an eye pay-per-view or you're not trying to sell. I mean, obviously you're trying to, you know, attract a live crowd and sell tickets to a show, but really at the end of the day, I think the big, the most important dynamic of the business model now is that you're trying to basically get somebody to pay a monthly fee to be a fan of your promotion. And it's kind of a catch all thing. So I think it kind of takes the emphasis off of things like dream matches and stuff. But I think now there's a heightened importance on like the mid card and the undercard, like the 
the show as a whole, like how, you know, the opener is an opener and the mid card is a mid card and the hierarchy and all of that. Like you used to like, you know, they, they would thank the top star for the house because they were the person that drew all the money. Like that's not, you're selling a whole promotion now, I think. Yeah. You, you really need to do something to stand out too, which is a big thing. Like there's so much more competition now for the streaming dollar that, you know, you need to do something that makes your make someone think of your promotion and be like, well, you know, this is something that I want to follow. Um, it's just so much easier to follow everything worldwide too. That you're like, it's, you know, back in the day, Ring of Honor is in competition with like, you know, a couple promotions for the, you know, maybe the DVD dollar, but now you're in competition with UK and, you know, Mexico and Japan and all over the place. So it just, it, I don't know how you do, how you would do it as a promoter. It just seems really difficult. You need, you need to find a niche basically. Yeah. But like I was saying, also like it's a, it's an across the board thing. Like I think like obviously having stars like Okada and Omega is a big thing for new Japan, but like, I also think the Taguchi's of the world yeah. are super important because like wrestling's a variety show and the more people you appeal to the broader of an audience you can, you can attract. So I think now more than ever, when streaming is the big thing, I think it's really about the health of the entire roster and not just the people on top. Especially when all these a lot of these promotions use the same top stars, so exactly on the US anyway. Um, okay, so Skyler at twitter.com. Do you guys generally anticipate or dread long matches, especially 45 plus minutes? And do you find them more admirable because of their ambition? Um, like as a general, I don't like when matches are long for the sake of being long. Like back in the day at Jakara, I was, I was booked to win a 105 minute cybernetico mm. and that match was intentionally long for the sake of being long like it wasn't you know you got all the time in the world do what you want to do it was we want this to be a certain amount of time right so when matches go long for the sake of being long it's normally a bad thing but like with the okada omega match like it was incredibly well built up it was you know the grand fight to the finish at the end of a really long involved complicated story and it went the amount of time it should. So as a general rule, I don't like when matches are long just to be long, but I think sometimes they require that amount of time to adequately tell the story. Yeah, 45 plus minutes is a long time. Um, you know what the thing I dread is? I hate the Iron Man matches. <laughs> like the, where, where you know it's going to go 60 and just how many falls can they do? Those I used to dread when I watched a lot more WWE and they used to do them you know, pretty semi-regularly. I was not a fan of those. Um, as far as like a, this, did I dread this going in? No, I was looking forward to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, 45 plus is a, is a long time. And like you're saying, it can be, it can be difficult if they, you know, if they're just going long for the sake of it. But, um, do I think it's admirable? Well, I, I don't know. You can take that one first. Do you think it's admirable to go that long? Um, well, I mean, I, it's very difficult. So if yeah. you do it, you manage to keep the people's attention. Like, I, I admire that because the longest singles match I've ever had was a 30 minute draw. I had a 30 minute draw with Rich Swan and like Rich Swan isn't a guy that's built to go 30 minutes. He's a sprinty guy. So we both kind of had a step out of our boxes to have that match. And like, that was like, it was difficult, but it also changed the way I wrestled. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess I would say it's admirable, but on the other hand, like, I want to word this right like I was saying earlier about like going along for the sake of going long, like 
if you're just doing that, then like I don't think I don't think you're brave so much as you're foolish. Mm, that, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. I I think sometimes in, when it comes to New Japan right now, people make too big of a deal about the length. Like I don't know, but it's more. I'm thinking more of the thirty plus thing. But like I I generally think they do a pretty good job with the thirty five minute matches. I mean, I just saw a thirty five minute match that went fucking that was fucking awesome in Hiromu and Shimori. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Sometimes when people just scream about the length, it's just like, well, you know, if it's good, who gives a shit? <laughs> right. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Suit Williams, he asked, since it's the question do Jor, what are his thoughts on L.A. Park? <laughs> well, he, he's a very, you know, he's a very divisive man right now. Um, <clears throat> I... I'm out of the loop of Lucha. Like, I'm, I just started watching Lucha again, like, two weeks ago. Like, all the stuff that's going on right now just kind of piqued my interest. So, like, I might not be fully qualified to answer this question. I'm probably taking it more seriously than I'm intended to. <laughs> but, um, but uh, I don't know. I, I think I'm supposed to say he's one of the best in the world. Yeah, I think he's supposed to say he's a runaway rest of the year. <laughs> Otherwise, the, the Lucha Mafia comes and burns down your house. <laughs> so that's what we're gonna say. It's a runaway wrestler right. of the year. Yeah, I, I just got into this podcasting thing. I don't need to get run off wrestling. Please, please don't hurt us. <laughs> All right. Um at J- Jamalo James. Um, how big of a star can Kawato realistically be once he gets back from excursion? They clearly think he could be a really big star because I can't remember the last time they did like a send-off, like the one they gave him, where they passed out the signs and everything at Corican. Um but yeah, what do you think? Um, honestly, right now I think it's too hard to, uh, to it's too early to tell. Yeah. Um, they like you said, they obviously see the world in him. But I think, um, like I've been watching his matches now that I've started watching CML again, um, and like he's he's developing, but he's not like developing at like you know light speed or anything. So I like he's doing all right. He's doing about what you know what you would expect him to be doing for his experience level. So. I really think it depends on what kind of character either he comes up with or they put together for him mm-hmm. because um, like show, like I was, I was talking earlier about show coming out of nowhere, like the best of the super juniors, uh, like <clears throat> not an amazing character, but they came up with a character for them. It wasn't anything like what they were doing in Mexico. So I really don't think we're going to know what Coato's like ceiling has the potential to be until he, until the day he returns. Yeah, it's 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 a good open question. I mean, the one thing is um, he's not that tall. He's you know he's five foot nine, which is you know only an inch taller than Shotanaka at five eight. Um, I don't I don't know if he can is he is he tall enough to be a heavyweight is a good question. Um, but you know I, maybe maybe he just ends up being another um, you know another top junior. Yeah. Well, I think is, that isn't the death sentence it used to be either. No, I mean, juniors as a whole have really been <laughs> elevated the past year or two. Yeah. So I think by the time he would ascend to the top of the junior division, like we might see juniors main eventing more often. Like, yeah, the days of you know the singles heavyweight champion being the most important person in the company because that's the way it's always been. Like, I think they're coming to a close. Like, I think I, we're still going to see weight divisions, but I think we're going to see a bit more disparity and who gets pushed to the top yeah i just think they have so many juniors right now that like you know you're gonna have to see more you know more of a uh 
more of a role for them. So, yeah. and he's going to have to stand out. Like yeah. we were talking earlier, like show filled what seems to be the only gap as far as something they didn't have. So he's going to have to find a way to stand out in a really, really, really talented crowd. Amino, by the way, is about six feet tall. So that is definitely <laughs> tall enough to be heavyweight. So that's a, he, cause he's another one that looks like, to me, it looks, already looks like a star. Yeah. So. This whole uh, crop of young lions. Really I, it's good. been it's a really good. It's a, probably the best one in like what, like twenty years or something. Yeah, something like that. Normally you get like <laughs> two guys. Normally there's yeah. there's two that you can really like get behind and be like, all right, these guys are going to be something. So, like, these are good, good, good crop of young lions. Um. All right, the last one, Jr. Goldberg, at Wrestling Bubble. He says, "Ask him to rewatch Mark Henry's Hall of Fame run in earnest, so we can <laughs> understand why people's love for him isn't ironic." <laughs> yeah, he got very upset with me. Um I had said in the past, like um TJ Hawk was putting over somebody, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Zeus. Like I hadn't watched All Japan in a while, and he was putting over how good Zeus had gotten. And like I thought it was like he was just like tongue in cheek <laughs> putting over Zeus. And then I watched a Zeus match and I was like, wow, this guy's really awesome. And because I hadn't seen him since Osaka Pro. And then like I had just in passing, I was like, oh, I thought I was, I was, you know, I was putting over Zeus and I was like, I thought everybody was being really, um, you know, ironic when they were, they were praising Zeus, but he's really, you know, he's really, really good. And like the vultures just came out, like, like the Lucha police are going to come about LA Park. Like yeah. people got so upset with me that I thought they were being ironic in their praise for Mark Henry. Um, I can, I, I think Mark Henry was really great. So <laughs> I thought he was great too. I just, I thought people were being facetious with how great they thought he was. Like, I didn't even express an opinion about the man. That's what was so crazy to me. Like when they're like, he hates Mark Henry. I'm like, no, I, I, I just said, I thought you guys were exaggerating a bit. It's, it's hard to tell on Twitter when people are being sincere and when they're doing a bit sometimes. And I, I I'll be honest, look, sometimes I'm doing a bit and then it turns into just loving the guy. Like Taichi was a bit. When I started out, like when I started saying how great Taichi was, that was a fucking bit I was doing. But after a while, if you say someone is so great over and over again, and he got better, I have to say too. But if you say someone's so great over and over again, eventually you start to believe it. So you never know. Yeah. Well, but I mean, you can legitimately enjoy someone, but still do it in an ironic way. Like I ironically loved Captain New Japan. Like I don't need a character like Captain New Japan in a pro wrestling company, but like I thought captain new Japan was really good at being captain new Japan. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it all went downhill once he became bone soldier, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. So this is really fun. Um, thank you for coming on Mr. Akuma. Well, thank you for having me. Like I said, this is my, my first dip into the pool of podcasting. So how'd you, how'd you I didn't like suck it? and I'll continue to do it. No, you didn't suck at all. You were great. How'd you like it? I enjoyed it. Like I said, I like, you know, I've loved wrestling for, you know, about 30 years and I've loved, um, you know, I was a wrestler for 15 years so because I loved it so much. So yeah. now that I'm done wrestling, I'm excited to talk about other, talk about other people wrestling, right? Exactly. Let them, let them get the, well, this, this really was nothing to complain about. So, I mean, I have to have you on like for, to bury some WWE show <laughs> or something. The, the thing is, I think I'll be really bad for that. Like, I'm basically like Alan, except I became a wrestler instead of a commentator. Like, I like everything way more than most people do. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I like I mean, everything except WWE way more than most people do. 
Um, all right. So that will wrap things up this week, which is great because I sound like I'm dying all of a sudden. Um, but yeah, we're going to next week, we're going to come back with our 50th episode. I can't believe we already hit episode 50, but that's going to be next week. And we're going to do the next volume of the, um, of the draft series. So it's going to be American and UK Indies next week um, with Andrew Rich and Sean Sidor from the Voice of Wrestling Network and Nate, a.k.a. Epitas, and Oatman from Twitter. So that'll be pretty fun. Um, Akuma, go ahead and give your plugs. Um, well, um, the, these days I don't really do a whole lot, <laughs> to be honest. But if you're looking for me on Twitter, you can find me at at underscore underscore Akuma. And anything I end up doing, because there's a lot of things that are in flux right now, but whatever I end up doing will be linked from there. So you can go there for all things Akuma. All right. And you can follow us at, at Wrestle Omikaze on Twitter. And until then, we'll see you next time. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery.